Okay, good evening and welcome once again to the Sci Seminar's monthly call highlighting the tools and techniques from the basic seminar. I'm your host, Dory Locke, and tonight we're going to be talking about to think is to create. And I'll have to tell you, I am very excited about the hundreds of people that we have joining us tonight. I know this is a hot topic and that you guys want to get started, so let me begin by letting you know, first off, not only will I be handling the call tonight, we also have Ms. Kat Tannock joining us this evening. And Kat took her basic in 2001. She was the area director for Portland, Oregon from 2005 to 2011. And now she is the chief guru in charge of all things digital. She is the IT and marketing director for SciSeminars. So we are excited to have her on the call tonight as well. Kat, are you with us? I am here, Dory. Thanks so much for having me on the call. This is very exciting. Uh, here we have a hot speaker tonight. We do indeed. So let me get started by introducing him. So I have the pleasure of bringing on our facilitator this evening. He began his journey with size seminars in 1991 by taking the basic. And in 1995, he became an instructor for that course. As a direct result of using the tools in the class, he married the woman of his dreams. He became the world's greatest father, I hear, of a nine-year-old son and eight-month-old twin. In addition to his commitment to facilitating for size seminars, he owns a motorcycle suspension company. And he is the first person ever to exceed 200 miles an hour on an electric motorcycle and the current world record holder having hit 218.6 miles an hour. So, you know, I get concerned going over 100 miles an hour. So we have somebody, you know, who's created some unbelievable <laughs> results in his life. So please help me welcome Mr. Paul Eade to the call. Good evening, ladies. Good evening. I'm yeah, I'm actually really excited to do this. Um you know, I, I think back, Dory, when you you called me up and said, uh, "Hey, would you like to be on the, uh, you know, the monthly call?" And I was excited, and I said, "What's the topic?" And you said, "The thing is to create." And I thought about it for a little bit, and I went, "Wow, that's cool." And I was actually really honored to 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 do this, you know, to talk about this subject. And then the more I thought about it, the more overwhelmed I became because it really is the entire basic. And, um, I mean, the, the, the scope of to think is to create, I mean, it, it's up on the, on the wall, uh, on the, on the first night of the basic, uh, and, you know, so it's the, it's the original concept that's up there. And I, I was thinking about it, and as far as the scope, and it literally is how we create things. It's how uh, we come up with solutions to problems. It's our creativity. It affects our health. It affects our wealth. Uh, it is the key factor in determining what our relationships look like, both on the business level as well as on the uh, the personal level. Uh, it has to do with how we feel. It's our. Uh, it controls our attitude. It's our passion, our excitement, our dreams. Literally, whether we have purpose or not, and and virtually who we are. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big subject, and um, and like I said, my my real challenge is how do how do we cover this in a in a period of a half hour or, 
or uh, uh, you know or less. And it, you know uh, we we take uh, we take four days to do it in the basic seminar. So actually, let me begin by saying that not only is it the premise for size seminars, but if you really look at it. If you look at any personal growth company that's out there, really the, the initial premise is two things. First of all, that uh, most of our behavior is unconscious. So in other words, we don't have to think how to behave. What we do is we simply react. And so you know, that, that to think is to create, it's like, well, wait a second. Most of our behavior is unconscious. We're not thinking about it. In fact, studies show that somewhere you know, excess of 90 to 99% of our decisions are made by our subconscious mind. And the second part of it, uh, that concept, is that most of our beliefs are in place at a very young age. And so what many studies show is somewhere around 80% of our, our thought processes are in place by the age of eight. And so you, you take and put those two concepts together, most of our decisions are made by our unconscious, and most of our thought processes are in place by the age of eight. You know, then the question that, that would come of that is, wait a second, who's actually creating our results? You know, an eight-year-old, and and we really, you know, look at it, and and we look at the patterns that we have. Many people will begin to trace back the patterns that they have as far as their way of thinking back to those very early times in life. So, uh, on the, you know, one of the first questions that asked is asked in the basic seminar, and all of you that are graduates on the call here uh, will remember this one. One of the questions is, do you talk to yourself? And, um, you know, people, you know, many people raise their hand and, you know, kind of they're thinking, well, of course I do. And some people don't raise their hand and they're thinking, well, do I talk to myself? Or they think, uh, well, gee, I'm not going to answer the, that question. In fact, I'm not going to answer any question that he, he has. Or, or they're sitting there going, huh? But the point is, is that we all talk to ourselves and we talk to ourselves all the time. Literally when we're asleep versus every moment of when we're awake. And this little voice that talks to us not doesn't just talk to us in words. It talks to us in pictures, and it also talks to us in feelings. And that's something that I think that many people don't don't get. Sometimes they think that you know we're, we're supposed to hear this little voice in our heads. Sometimes we just we kind of have a feeling in it, and it's kind of a eh, you know, gee, I don't think this is I don't think this is the right time to and to talk to that girl or ask her out or or start a business or, or whatever it is. And, um, and and many of us, one of the distinctions that, that is, is a difficult distinction is how do you distinguish between that thought process that was planted in there because of some experience that occurred when we were six or eight or ten or whatever versus uh, uh, our intuition? And quite often they sound and feel like the same thing. Very difficult to distinguish between the two. But anyway, we're really, you know, the question of do you talk to yourself, we've got a little voice, and I usually use kind of a hand puppet to, to uh, demonstrate or, or use uh, as, a, as a limiting thought and, uh, or a limiting thought process. And I use the hand puppet because many times what people do in kind of this arena of personal growth is, is when they come in, or before a lot of people come in, if I if I ask them where is the source of all your problems, people would be pointing the figure outward, and they would be going, well, you know, gee, if only, only could find the right woman, or you know, gee, if only economic times were better, or gee, if gee, if only the you know the laws based around this or that were better, or 
uh, gee, if only I had support around me or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what they do is they point the finger outward. And, and during the basic seminar, I, I think that, that people really fundamentally know that they can't change other people. But yet the truth is, is that when, when many of us look at it, we really stop, you know, and, and we go, well, I, I'm trying to change other people all the time. Uh, and we do it with everything from, you know, our anger to, you know, co- trying to coerce people or whatever. But we really look at it and go, we know that we can't change other people. And so ultimately what people do, I think many times in the basic, is they decide, gee, the only person I can really change is myself. And what they do is they start to blame themselves for having limiting beliefs that don't really serve them. And so they direct their you know, the cause of their frustrations inwardly, it's like, okay, I'm the source of my problem. And I, I'd like people to really picture that, you know, the hand puppet's like, okay, we, we bought limiting beliefs, and those limiting beliefs actually start to make the decisions for us and start to control us. So, so then the, you know, actually what I, what I think I'll do at this point in time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about how we get those, and I'll talk a little bit about the history of, of personal growth overall and kind of sigh a little bit. Uh, if uh, if that makes sense too. So, um, uh, one of the things that we also talk about in the basic, and I'm going to tie everything back to the basic. I've, I've been facilitating basic, uh, uh, Dory, as you mentioned, since '95. And my my real commitment to me is that the most difficult thing is how in the heck do I take this stuff and apply it to my own life. And so my commitment to me is that I actually listen to what comes out of my mouth. So anyway, let's let's start in. And, um, and I ask the question quite often, when we're born, what is possible? And most people answer, well, gee, everything or infinite, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and then what happens is that we go through life and at some point in time we experience something and we say we get a lousy grade on our first math test. And, and we get a lousy grade on our first math test for whatever reason. Maybe our parents weren't into math or, or who knows, or maybe there was an environment that we were around that just didn't, whatever. We, we get a lousy grade on our first math test. It's very easy for us as a, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever-year-old kid to decide things like, uh, gee, I'm no good in math, or maybe I'm not smart, or I'm different than the other kids, or something. But what happens is let's suppose that all we do is we say, I'm no good in math. Once we decide we're no good in math, what do we do? Well, we have a belief, and what that belief is going to do is simply create evidence for us for the rest of our lives that supports a belief. So these limiting beliefs are very self-serving, and so they create evidence that supports themselves. So how are we going to do on our next math test? So, you know, generally we don't look forward to it. We feel, you know, our knots, or our stomach is in knots, uh, and we generally don't do very well on our second math test. Well, now we've got in, <laughs> incontrovertible evidence that supports that belief, and it simply goes on for the rest of our lives. And so once we have that thought process, that belief about ourselves, then our feelings about that particular subject or whatever it is are in direct, you know, in direct alignment to that thought process. Then once our feelings are in alignment with that, then our behavior lines up directly with the feelings, and then our results line up with all that stuff. Once we create that, we have a loop, and it's a closed loop, and we, we simply create evidence for the rest of our lives. So the, the real trick is, number one, 
to discover what the heck those thought processes are that don't work, which ones do work, and be able to start making conscious choices where we only had unconscious choices before. And so to, to touch a little bit on the history, kind of of the modern era of personal growth, and personal growth has been going on for, for thousands of years, but Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, uh, is one of the milestones, and a man named Emile Cooley, which I'll touch on him a little bit later, uh, really both of those guys were were instrumental in kind of the modern you know, uh, movement or what have you of personal growth. And, and what Napoleon Hill did is he was charged with studying successful people. And his job was, was to last 20 years. And, and what he did is he got interviews set up by Andrew Carnegie, and he studied 504 of the most successful people on the planet. And he noticed certainly that there were differences, but the major thing that was in place was that they all had a particular way of thinking. And that particular way of thinking was, was a positive, on-purpose way of thinking, and, and it was common to all of them. And so he coined the phrase, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, he can achieve. And that wasn't a sexist thing. When he said man, he meant, you know, mankind, so man or woman. So whatever the, the mind of man can conceive and believe, he can achieve. Now, you guys have heard that concept before, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and actually what Tom Wilhite said, and I, I don't know if you have ever heard him. I listened to a bunch of tapes uh, um, from Mr. Wilhite. And what he said is, at Psy, we say to think is to create. And so whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, he can achieve, which that, that one is a, a pretty powerful kind of a thing. And, and you know, Wilhite would, you know, abbreviate is to think is to create. So whatever, what is it that you conceive? So conceive and believe you can achieve. And so, first of all, many people don't even conceive things, especially as we get older. We get busy, busy, busy doing, doing, doing. And so we stop conceiving. We stop wishing, we stop dreaming, and we kind of go through it, and we justify, and we look at it, and we go, gee, well, my life is better than theirs, and, you know, it's not so bad, but we stop dreaming, and so that's kind of the first part. The second part is the believing part, which I think for most people is the tough part. And so we, 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 if we do conceive things, then we, we quite often stop right there because we really don't believe it. And so we'll start, and, you know, we hear concepts like, gee, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, or to think is to create, and we, we, we start to get how incredibly immense that concept is, but then we don't believe it about ourselves. And so a couple of things more about Napoleon Hill, he actually defined success in 12 different areas, and he rated them in importance uh, uh, of you know, 12 different areas. And so he, he actually listed importance, and last on the list, interestingly enough, was money. And first on the list was positive mental attitude. And so we look at it and we go, okay, well, money lasts. And he, he went and called the book Think and Grow Rich. And so Think and Grow Rich, many people, they, when they think of riches, they think of money. And, and he really said, well, money is, is last on the list. And it wasn't that money wasn't important because it was. Uh, but that money among all the other things, came as a result of having a positive mental attitude. Now, many people go, well, gee, that's great, but quite often I have a very difficult time controlling my attitude. And so 
you know, it's like how do I make it positive when, you know, the world around me is not so positive or I'm being bombarded with everything from credit card bills to my quote-unquote personal reality. And, and we'll get into some of that as we go. But, but uh, you know, kind of the thing to keep in mind is, first of all, the thing is to create is the granddaddy of all the concepts. And with Napoleon Hill, he said personal uh, positive mental attitude is the number one thing. And so what I want to do is I want to get into a little bit of depth into some of the areas that we were talking about or that I introduced at the beginning. And, you know, and first of all, to think about how is to think is to create, um, have anything to do with the things that we make or inventions or designs or that kind of stuff. And, and some people have a difficult time and they look at it and they go, well, how are thoughts things? And one of the questions that I heard along the line here uh, back early on was, what is more real, a chair or the thought of the chair? And most people would look at it and we go, well, the chair is real. You can touch it. You can see it. Uh, you know, you can scratch it. You can smash it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and so that's more real than, than the thought of the chair. And, and the way that it was presented to me, and it really struck me, said, they said that, think about it, the chair you can destroy. You can burn that chair. You can smash it into oblivion, so it doesn't even look like a chair anymore. But the thought of the chair actually is what created the chair. And in fact, the thought of the chair is what will create that chair over and over and over and over again. And so what's more real is the thought as opposed to the chair itself. And so, so I kind of started to think about that, and, and we're introduced to, to techniques like, like workshop or screen of the mind or something like that. And, and you know, I look at it and go, well, what the heck did Edison do? And people look at Edison and they go, well, gee, he got the gift. What was the gift? Well, it was the gift of creativity. And, and he certainly surrounded himself with people uh, that were creative and using this technique, a technique called workshop. And those of you that are on the call that have not heard of workshop, you can study up on Edison and that kind of stuff. But those of you that are not basic grads uh, can study up on workshop. But Edison had the all-time record for patents. It's 1,093 patents over the course of his adult lifetime, which is a staggering number of patents. And we could, we could look at it and go, well, gee, you know, he got the gift. He got that gift of creativity. But the question is, is what did he do that caused him to be that creative? And, and he used a technique called workshop, which is a closed-eye, uh, alpha state of mind. He'd slow his brain waves down. He'd go into his workshop. He'd have assistance. And he'd go, okay, here's the problem I'm working on. And he'd have his assistants help him with solutions to problems. And, um, and so he would invent things. He'd create designs. I personally uh, invented things and uh, received worldwide acclaim for, for some of my inventions in the motorcycle industry and working on suspension. And, and, and so to think is to create certainly has everything that you ever create starts out as a thought. The question is, is how do you control your thoughts to direct them towards creativity and, and direct them towards making things happen, you know, and solutions to problems, that kind of stuff. And the technique on that is workshop, but also in there is, is screen of the mind. Um, now, um, you know, I'll ask the, uh, 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 you know, Kat and Dory on the, uh, uh, on the phone call here, uh, have you ever had health challenges? Oh, I certainly have. 
And, you know, so the question is, well, how in the heck is to think is to create, um, you know, affect how we, how we feel and, 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 our, and our physical health? And obviously you guys as sci grads and have been around this work for a while, uh, you're familiar with some of the techniques again. But think about this, and let's back up for a second and go, and I ask this question to the, to the students in the class, and I go, how many of you know that you have the ability to make yourself sick? And usually that's most of the people in the class, and they'll raise their hand, and, and uh, you know, and so I ask them, and I go, well, how? They go, well, gee, with stress, or, or gee, well, I know that, you know, when there are big things that sometimes are coming up, Towards me, I can get, you know, sick to my stomach. I actually, actually can make myself physically sick. And so when I ask the question, you have the ability to make yourself sick, a whole bunch of people raise their hand, I go, well, how in the heck, how exciting is that? And people, they, you know, kind of look at me and go, excuse me, that's exciting? <laughs> well, yeah, to me that's exciting because if you have the ability to make yourself sick, that automatically means you have the flip side of that same coin. So you can't have the ability to make yourself sick without having the ability to make yourself more well. And so, you know, you look at, you know, the number of people that have studied this, and, you know, there's a man named Dr. Barry Adams. He's a general practitioner and, and uh, you know, he's a doctor, and he wrote the book Wake Up, You're Alive. And uh, he, he said after 30 years of treating people, he treated more people for worry, tension, and stress than anything else. I mean, think about that for a second. He treated more people from worry, tension, and stress than anything else. He says, ulcers, with ulcers, you know, what normally do doctors do? They, they have you change your diet. And he wrote, you don't get ulcers from what you eat. You get ulcers from what's eating you. And he was absolutely convinced that somewhere in excess of 95% of our illnesses are self-imposed. Now, you think about that for a second, and I'm not about to say, oh, throw away your crutches or, or get rid of your medicines or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is if you have the ability to make yourself sick, automatically what it means you have the ability to make yourself better. You know, I actually have a really great um, example of that. Uh, you know, when I was a young child, I was sick a lot as a very, you know, as a baby, as a very young child. And so I developed a thought process around I am a sickly person you know, that I get sick a lot. Um, and it wasn't through until I took the seminars and really got conscious of that thinking that I was then able to be aware of what I was thinking and start putting in some thoughts around health for myself. And that made a huge difference for me in my life in terms of how healthy I was. Right, interesting. If you were to have a thought that was a positive thought, what's kind of been the major positive thought that you've used to make yourself healthier? Uh, even something as simple as I am a healthy person. Got it. And so there, so that's an affirmation that you have, I'm a healthy person. You know, one of the things that I have personally is I know I have an amazing immune system. I have an amazing immune system, and its job is to go out there and look for things that aren't, aren't healthy for me, and it goes and attacks them and, and destroys them and keeps me perfectly healthy. Oh, I so, like that. I'm know, going to use that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the thing, the thing that's really neat about this stuff is side seminars, and we as individuals, you know, it's like we don't have to make all this stuff up. What we can do is we can, we can listen to, some, you know, somebody like yourself and go, oh, yeah, that's cool, and we can start to implement something that somebody else does 
and it works. We have the ability as a human being to not have to learn all of our own lessons. Do you know people, I, I used to think that. I used to think, gosh, I have to learn all my own lessons. No, we don't. We can actually learn from other people. You know, and, and actually, you know, this ties into, so I, thank you for bringing that one up too. Um, but uh, actually it ties in earlier than Napoleon Hill was a man named Emile Cui, who was a French pharmacist. And, and, you know, kind of back in the day, people would go to the pharmacist for, you know, getting medicines that would help what ails them. And what he noticed was that when he would talk about the positive benefits of a, of a, of a drug or a medicine that he gave, he would say, this stuff really works. Well, what would happen is it would work. And when he didn't talk it up, it didn't work as well. And, in fact, when he talked it down, it didn't work at all. You know, it taught work very little. And so he was kind of going, wow. And so he was actually the man that uh, defined or, or created the placebo effect, which basically is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the nothing pill or the, you know, what is it about the way that our thinking actually uh, causes us to feel a certain way or to be healthy or sick. And, and uh, he would actually, he became a psychiatrist and, and, and would, people would come to him and be treated for things Everything from physical ailments to mental things and addictions and alcoholisms and et cetera, et cetera. And there's a man named uh, 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 C. Harry Brooks who wrote a whole bunch of books on Cooey. And he actually studied the success rate of his method. He said it was about 93% effective. Now, you, you go, wait a second. What was Cooey's method? He, he literally said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say to yourself over and over and over, every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Have you guys heard that that phrase before? Yes, I have. And that that one actually is in. It's in. Uh, we used to do a closed eye cycle that was at the end of the basic seminar, and, and it was thrown in there. And you know, I heard it all the time, and I you know, I would say it, and I would say it, and I would say it. And he would say, "Okay, as patients of his." What I want you to do is to tell yourself every day and every day, every way I'm getting better and better. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm healed. It doesn't, it doesn't say I'm just that, but people sometimes have a difficult time with saying affirmation that says I'm healthy. But what they have an easier time with is telling themselves every day and every way I'm getting better and better. And so every day what people would do is they get better and better. And he said that the remaining seven, or, you know, this guy, uh, Brooks, who studied Cooley, say this, the remaining 7% of the people that didn't get results were either too skeptical or simply refused to recognize the method. So you think about this for a second. Success rate of 93%. And what his major thing, I mean, people come in and go, okay, go, what ails you? And he say, okay, well, all right, I want you to say every day and every way I'm getting better and better. It's like, man, one prescription for everybody. Can you imagine? <laughs> and, and he made a living off of it. <laughs> you know, and so anyway, the thing about health is, is certainly if you recognize the power of the mind to make yourself sick, automatically along with that comes the ability to make yourself more better. So my my question is, why wouldn't you investigate this? You know, and so we look at you know things like stress, and we know we can stress ourselves out. The question is. How do we get rid of stress? And so then we, we start to look back on the basic and we go, well, gee, relaxation cycle. Well, gee, understanding, you know, acceptance, you know, forgiveness. We go into screen of the mind. We go into workshop, et cetera, et cetera. So we're back onto the technique. So anyway, so 
so I, just a teeny little overview on health. And again, there's so much more. How do we cover? And I don't know. How am I doing on time anyway? Hey, you're doing just fine. Okay. This is great. Uh, it, it, really great. Seriously, seriously, we need to cover the entire basic in a matter of you know, short period of time. So let's look at relationships, relationships for a moment. First of all, you know, when relationships are concerned, what are we talking about? Are we talking about relationships with spouses and kids and you know, friends and coworkers? Are we talking business? Are we talking personal? Are we talking relationships with ourselves? The truth is, is that all of those are affected by how we think. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, I look at it and go, okay, relationships with other people. And one of the stories that I like to tell is that I stared at one girl in high school for four years, and I never asked her out. And you know, it's, you know, I, I go and I talk to sometimes special ed kids and you know that kind of stuff. And the funny thing, special ed kids, you know, certainly there are some of them that have uh, you know physical wiring issues that really you know can use some some work and and that kind of thing or. And a lot of those kids that are in special ed are absolutely brilliant and completely pissed off. Mm-hmm. And so I would I would be in there and I'd talking about you know this kind of stuff and I, I I would share that that story about how I stared at one girl from four years in high school and they would go, man, you're a loser, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I would go, well, wait a second, uh, that's really not where I was going to. And they they go, why didn't you just next her? And I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, next. And, you know, the funny thing was, is, is I didn't next her. You know, every day I would tell myself, today's the day I'm going to ask her out. And every day, what did I do? I came up with some kind of an excuse. And, you know, the funny thing is that we ask the question, we go, well, what benefit could I possibly get out of not asking her out? And when I really stopped at it and looked at it, I, I realized that if I never asked her out, she never would say no. And if she never said no, then she was always a possibility. And so, you know, and I look at it, and the, so the benefit of not asking her out far outweighed the benefit of asking her and either getting a relationship with her or moving on. And so, again, if you step back to it, this all has to do with the way that we think. And so how I think, in fact, if I looked at her and I said, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what did I think she was? Well, she was a 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, what did I think I was? You know, and I ask that question to the, you know, the, the audience and the students or the whatever, and, and quite often they go, well, gee, you were a two or a zero or, you know, whatever. And I go, no, 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 I wasn't a two or a zero. I was a six. You know, I was a good, solid six. And, and uh, so we chuckle about it a little bit. But the point is, is that if I thought she was a ten and I thought I was a six, is there any possibility that even if I got into a relationship with her, that that relationship would last? And so the answer to that one, of course, is no. And and so really with her, you know, or any other person for that matter, what we have a tendency to do is we don't attract what we want, we attract who we are. And so either I have to, in relationship with her, either I have to bring myself up to a higher level or I have to mentally tear her down to my level. And so no matter what, it's not what, uh, you know, I mean, as far as the, the tearing her down, it's certainly not what I would say is the, the basis of having an incredible relationship that's going to last for a long time. And, and, and so not only do we attract who we are, in fact, uh, you know, the funny thing is that in business, I used to have, I used to surround myself with people that would support a belief that said, gee, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done right. 
And so I surrounded myself with people that were incompetent. I surrounded myself with people. I literally had an employee who, when I found out that that, that thought process was keeping me from having liberty in my life, and, and so I, I sent an employee that was my right-hand man off to do a job that I used to only do. And when he came back, he, he came back without my box van, and my box van was it was stuffed with parts, tools, and equipment because uh, it had broken down, right? And so he decides he's going to teach me a lesson and stick it on the side of the road in the middle of the desert. And I sent another guy that worked for me, and by the time I got the van back, it had been broken into and 15 to 20 grand worth of parts, tools, and equipment had been stolen. So I surrounded myself with, number one, a guy that would, mm, let me think, teach me a lesson of, of uh, gee, I should maintain my van better. And on top of that, I am absolutely convinced that the guy I sent to go get the van was actually the guy that broke into it and stole all the stuff. <laughs> so, so here I am surrounding myself with people that absolutely proved my belief that said, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done right. And so, so what I did was, is I have, you know, so that's what I created. And so there I was when I was, uh, we didn't start off the call with, I was working 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week when I, when I did my basic seminar. And so this isn't just in personal relationships. It's in professional relationships, and there really is no distinction between those two. In fact, the second part of that, or, or third part maybe, is how we treat people quite often has to do with how we want to be treated, or, or maybe we're, we, what we do is we pick fights all the time because we don't think that we deserve to be in a relationship, or, or we think that somehow or another this is how relationships are supposed to look. Again, absolutely lining up with the way that we think. You know, so relationships obviously is a huge subject, and again, in the effort of, uh, you know, covering the entire basic in a, in a short period of time, how we think certainly has to do with how we feel. And we talked about how, you know, getting a lousy grade on our first math test has us feeling a certain way about math. Well, it doesn't just limit it to math. It certainly ties into relationships or it ties into our passion in life. And I mentioned before that many times what we do is, is we get kind of um, stuck in a thought process of, of maybe it's like, gee, you know, my life is okay, um, you know, gee, it's better, and we justify, and we go, well, gee, it's better than their life. And, and so what happens is many, for many of us, we lose the passion in life, and, and we lose the excitement, or, or we find ourselves in the thought process called, that we call the three R's, which those of you that are non-grads, uh, is is what happens when we get into resentment and, and it ends ends up being uh, revenge and, and what happens is that is that when we go and, and get revenge on other people we do it in subtle ways and sometimes our subtle way is is maybe even just doing a silent treatment with somebody and just kind of cutting off communication and that kind of stuff as well but but basically what happens is is that when we go and and get revenge on somebody. And I always ask the question, I go, does revenge work? Is that the end? And, 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 you know, is there any such thing as getting even? Every single time it's unanimous and people always say, no, there's no such thing as even. And so it just simply continues on. And, and so quite often what happens is that we either continue it internally with ourselves or, or we beat ourselves up or, or then it, it starts all over with somebody else. And, and so we find ourselves kind of in this, vicious cycle of of being in in this resentment you know thought process and and so again it's a thought process to think is to create 
Uh, and, and the other thing about it to think is to create is what we're telling the universe out there is we're virtually communicating with the universe, I want revenge brought back on me. And so we look at something like uh, many many of the grads have seen The Secret. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that that uh, is, uh, you know, that loves psych seminars, that has his own personal growth company is a man named Bob Proctor, and he's on the, on the, uh, you know, on the, the videotape, The Secret, and he says, the secret of the secret is psych seminars. And, and so I mean, here's a guy who has tremendous success and just absolutely incredibly powerful guy, and nobody has any idea how old that guy is because he's got the, the, he's the, the, the passion and, and vibration of a young person and the guy has been around for a while. I mean, just – and I, I don't see any difference in him. The man doesn't age at this point in time. The secret of the secret is site seminars. And so what's the distinction of site seminars? The distinction of site seminars is, well, how do I disconnect my, my actions my, from my thought processes, from my limiting beliefs? How do, I, how do I go create a new me? And so we look at something, and so we realize that – being in the three R's, being in revenge, is counterproductive because we're simply asking the universe to supply that back to us. And then we look at, you know, again, we continue on and we look at a concept like victim or, or being responsible. And, and not that one answer is right or wrong, but that they two have two different experiences of life. And, and, and we are surrounded by a, a victim culture and, and subculture and and frankly, when I go around and I talk to high schools and junior high schools and I, and I ask them, what's cool? You know, what's cool in this junior high? I, I, I remember talking to 307th and 8th graders, and I asked them, what's cool here? I said, is it cool to be smart or is it cool to be stupid? And it's funny because it was almost unanimous. 300 kids were going, it's cool to be stupid. You know, think about where the cool kid sits. He sits in the back. You know, and, and what does he do? You know, I mean, what's his action and body posture, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, is it cool to care or is it cool not to care? And they say not to care. So the coolest answer is, well, I don't know, but I don't care. And, yes, there are pockets where that's not true, but to the greatest extent, that is our society. That's a thought process. It's cool not to care. It's cool to be stupid. It's cool to be tough. You know, and so you look at it and go, these are thought processes. To think is to create. And so we're surrounded by it, and we're in it. You know, so, again, continuing on, where did our dreams go? Well, there they went. There, there's us, you know, sitting there going, well, fine. I just won't play. Or fine. Or, or we settle or we justify and we go, well, gee, my life's not so bad. And, we, again, we justify. And, and we look at things like, for example, wealth. You know, we're, again, we're going to tie this into everything here and, and, again, I, I know I've, I've got a fairly short period of time, but, but one of the concepts that I heard at one point in time, I didn't even think it was with Cy Seminars, but somebody said, your net worth is equal to your self-worth. And I went, and I went, oh, gee, I don't have as much money as I'd like. That's harsh. You know, I'm to go on, my net worth is equal to my self-worth. And you know, it's kind of like, well, I want to think that I have good self-worth. And so then the question is, you know, you look at wealth and you go, okay, um, man or woman gets paid in direct proportion of the service they render mankind. If you want more wealth, then be of service. Be of service to more people. 
Man or woman gets paid in direct proportion of service they render. Find a need and fill it. You know, that right there is a mini, little, teeny little wealth seminar. But you, you look at it and you go, okay, when we look at wealth and we study people that are wealthy, and we study people that, for example, win the lottery, you know, what's the stats on people that win the lottery? Well, within a year or two, and, you know, they used to just give it as a lump sum. And the deal was is no matter how big the lump sum was, that within a period of a year or two, people were as bad or worse off financially than when they won the money. In fact, even when people get it in little pieces and they're getting a $20,000 check every month, that people are sitting there by the mailbox waiting for this $20,000 check to come in. And, and so then the, the question becomes, how is the way that I think about money creating the results that I have in my life. And so we look at it and we go, where did we get our thought process around wealth? Most of us, we got them around our parents or the people that raised us. And so when we have a scarcity mentality, what we do is we have more month than we do money. And, and, and even if you look at it and you go, well, gee, I have a lot better wealth than my parents did, the truth is, is that middle class generally stays middle class. You know, and lower class stays, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, we make guess the I mean, frankly, the um, uh, um, you know we make more money because of the cost of living, et cetera, et cetera. And so we look at wealth, and, and you know, so how we think ties in to how much money we have. And then there are some people that frankly think that in order to have wealth, you have to be a bad person, or you have to have done something you know sneaky or conniving or take advantage of people. You know, somebody has to get poor to get wealthier. You know, it's like, mm, well, when we have a thought process like that, that absolutely is in the way. If we don't want to be a bad person, then that absolutely is in the way of us creating wealth. And so, you know, the last area that I really want to touch on is who are we as a human being and our attitude? You know, and we, again, started off by tying that into, gee, I got a lousy grant on my first math test. And we decide I'm no good in math. Well, if we decide that I'm unworthy or I'm, I'm you know, no good in math or, or excuse me, let's uh, continue on with something, I'm bad or I'm unlovable or I'm not deserving or, you know, gee, I'm stupid or my sister's the pretty one or, or gee, I'm too young or gee, I'm too old or all Irish people have pimpers or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then when those outward stimuli trigger those thought processes in our mind, again, mostly unconscious, then what we do is we simply go off and we re- react consistently with the way that we think. And so we think of, uh, you know, so here, here's a technique. The technique that covers that one is the I am. And uh, once again, gra- you know, non-graduates, the I am really is when we describe ourselves, we can start every descriptive term off with an I am. And so if we go, you know, I am you know, 43 years old, uh, I am a truck driver, I am, you know, angry a lot of the time. Uh, I think I'm funny, uh, but really not so much. Uh, you know, I, but I really avoid getting into deep conversations with my humor. Uh, sometimes I'm like, okay, dad, but, you know, really I'm too selfish to really be a great dad or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm pretty good at this or that or whatever. Everything starts off with I am. And what Tom Wilhite would say is this technique, this thought process of the I am is the bottom rung of the ladder. So in other words, without a certain degree of understanding and mastery of the I am, then all of the other concepts are meaningless. And so what did he mean by that? Why would he say that? 
literally the I am is to think is to create directed inwardly at who we are. So I create things outward. I create inventions. I create relationships, et cetera, et cetera, with the think is to create. I create who I am, whether I am loving or whether I'm giving or trusting or, or caring or sharing or forgiving. I create that with the I am. And what is the answer to the I am? The answer is I am a leader. And what is the, the leader of? Well, I am a leader of self. I'm a leader of the way that I think. And so he would go on to say that the mind is a fertile field with rich, moist dirt so that you know that you know that whatever you plant will grow. And so if you plant corn, what do you get? You get corn. If you plant wheat, what do you get? You get wheat. If you plant rice, what do you get? You get rice. If you plant nothing, what do you get? And, of course, the number one reaction is people say nothing. And, and the real truth is you get weeds. What are the weeds? Well, the weeds are the negativity in life. The weeds are other people's programming, the other people's stuff, other people's, uh, you know, less thans and et cetera, et cetera. And so the answer is, you know, do negative, excuse do leaders have negative thoughts? Even positive leaders that you look, you're around them and you just feel good being around them. Do they have negative thoughts? Well, of course they do, but what do they do? They recognize that a a thought is either negative or positive, or degrees of, and they consciously shift it more towards the positive. And so as a result of that, what, do, what does a leader do? A leader says, I'm a leader of self. I'm a leader of the way that I think. I'm the leader of who I am. And what they do is they consciously shift it more towards the positive. And so it takes conscious thought to think is to create, to create a new you. And so actually just a really quick touch on the techniques, and we really have touched on them. You know, screen of the mind. Screen of the mind, the technique to control your attitude. The technique. You know, and what Will Height would say is like, hey, other people, they present these concepts, but here is the technique, the, a way to control your way of thinking. So what are the pictures that you flash into your mind? And so, you know, that is screen of the mind. And if we don't control the pictures in our mind, what happens is the pictures in our mind will be tossed in by our previous programming, what we see on TV, and what he says, don't fall asleep in front of the television, because what happens is your guardian, see, your job is to be the farmer that chops out the weeds and plants whatever it is that you want to plant. And so screen of the mind is a place to do that. And so you watch things like, you know, I mean, first of all, the key to, the, to screen of the mind is that you see the perfect end result. What you have to do is you watch your throwaway comments. Gee, I'm so stupid, or I'm fat, or, you know, I'm so forgetful, or gee, I'm stupid, or et cetera, et cetera. And what you do is you control your thinking. Bob Proctor would say, write it down on a gold card. I am so happy and grateful that. And I, I'm in possession of da-da-da-da-da on such and such a day. And so you see it over and over again, and along with that, you have a picture in your mind. You know, the I am is the technique. Workshop is a technique. Here's the technique, and some people go, gee, that's all. Ah, and so then I have to control my way of thinking. In the basic seminar, here's the technique of I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. Those of you that are graduates, remember we jumped up and down and yelled, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. You know, people go, gee, I'm glad you did this on the third day of the basic because I sure wouldn't have signed up for the class if I'd done this kooky stuff. <laughs> you know, but you, you jump up and down and yell, I'm excited. Here's one that you can do. You're struggling with controlling your attitude because of the way that you think, and frankly, your attitude is a result of the way you think. Here's all you do. Look upward and smile. <laughs> Look upward and smile. So here you are, pissed off, you're this, that, whatever, feeling not enough, feel whatever. Look up and smile. It's really hard to be pissed off 
looking up and smiling. So you go, wait a second, how is that? Well, you can actually feel better. It's really hard to stay pissed off with a big grin on your face. And so there's a technique. But again, in order to get a value out of the technique, you've got to do the technique. You know, and so we look at something like, you know, the secret. The secret is the law of attraction. We've been teaching the same stuff since 1973. You know, when when Wilhite started started Psy Seminars, we've been teaching the same thing. What is it? The law of attraction. What you put out comes back. Write it down. Visualize. Ask for it. Be open to receiving. Be grateful. And really as a technique, that's the last one that I would end with. Be grateful for your life. Be grateful for what you do have. Be grateful for the challenges that you have in your life and the, the tools and techniques that you've got and the, and the life that you've been given. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's like, an, and be grateful and every day create a new you and become more of that person. Every day in every way I'm becoming better and better. So that's kind of the bulk of everything that I've got to say. And I know that we've got some questions and I know that I've been talking kind of pretty nonstop here, but uh, let's go ahead and go to questions. Okay, great. And that was just unbelievable information. It was fantastic. A lot of good things that we put in there, uh, Paul. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Um, My pleasure. So we do have quite a few questions, and I'm going to go to the first one. So the first one comes from SS, and the question is, do you believe that the reason most people don't act on their thoughts or ideas is for the fear of failure. Um, and actually, I think that you know certainly fear of failure is one of the things that um, that certainly stops people. And at the same time, the question is: is why do we have fears of fear of failure? I personally think you know. So that has to do once again with the way that we think. And and so what happens is, for example, is that we have a history of going after stuff and it falling flat on our faces. And so then what we do is we stop even going after things or even stop dreaming because we're afraid to fail. And so, so, and I actually think that most people don't go after their dreams, number one, because many people stop dreaming. Number two, they don't go after their dreams because if they did go after their dreams and they got their dreams, then the result would be inconsistent with their thought processes that are limiting. So if, it's, if, if a result is inconsistent with a thought process, we won't create the result. And so the battle is with the thought process, not the obstacles that are in the way of the dreams. Uh, so, Paul, you mentioned earlier about how uh, when we're not getting the things, the results that we want in our life, we tend to justify based on our limiting beliefs. And since so many of our, you know, our thoughts are running nonstop in our subconscious, we're not always aware of those, is when we, my my question is, when we uh, find ourselves justifying our results, is that a good trigger to um, discover or uncover what some of those limiting beliefs are? Well, yeah, and, you know, here's here's the thing, and I appreciate you bringing that up, too, because, The major concept here, 90 to 99% of our unconscious, our our actions are created by unconscious thought processes and beliefs. So for you to kind of clue into every single thing that you can use, kind of be a detective. So it's like if you're sitting there going, well, gee, I'm justifying. You go, boom, there I am. I'm doing it again. 
What is it that I'm getting out of justifying? Where did that thought process come from? Or, for example, when you're angry, if you're angry, you go, hmm, okay, I'm in the three R's. You know, you know okay, hmm. You know, not, you know, because I look at people all the time, they come to the class and go, I'm not in resentment for anything. <laughs> and I go, okay, why don't you, you know, pass around what you're smoking there? And uh, everybody could, you know, anyway. But the point is, is that, you know, like you say, use whatever triggers that you can to go, man, I'm doing it, and bring it from the unconscious to the conscious. And you ask yourself the question, where did it come from, and what do I get out of it? Yeah, I think it's handy to have trigger. You know, there's so many thoughts going on constantly, especially getting in a hurry throughout the day. It can be difficult to stop and listen or to acknowledge or really pay attention to those thoughts that are going on. So um, being aware of those, having some triggers to clue into what those thoughts are, I think is is good. Right on. Very valuable. Okay. And the set, the next question that we have, this one comes from AR, and this question is, how do you continue to persist with your long-term dream and vision in light of challenges today, especially resources? constraint well yeah actually i think that's a really good question um because i think it's a question that you know many people have on their minds whether they're graduates or not you know it's like okay so how do i i mean first of all one of the things i would acknowledge him for having is a long-term dream because obviously it would make sense that it's it's hard to persist with a long-term dream and vision uh you know, I mean, you wouldn't even ask that question if you didn't have one. And so part of the thing is to have a long-term dream and vision that is powerful enough to get you through this stuff. The truth is that growing is uncomfortable. And so for you to have something that pushes you forward enough to be willing to be uncomfortable is vital. I mean, frankly, even taking advanced seminars. People don't take advanced seminars you know, life success class or men's or women's leadership or, or Principia for that matter, they don't take advanced seminars because of the love of taking seminars. They take advanced seminars because they have a dream that's big enough to push them through, you know, to be willing to pay the price. Are there constraints? Absolutely there are. And so if we go back to Will Height, Will, Will Height would say, here's the key. The key is screen of the mind, screen of the mind, screen of the mind, screen of the mind. Bob Proctor would say, write yourself a goal card, put it in your pocket, pull it out, read it as many times as you can, over and over and over and over again, and you put it in the, 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 the tense of, thank you, I'm so happy and grateful that I have this. And so what you do is your vision and your passion, you create a burning desire, a desire that's so strong that no matter what it is that you're going after, you're going to get it. And so you see the perfect end result with screen the mind, screen the mind, screen the mind. And Proctor would say with, with, uh, you know, goal card, that is the way that you tap into the screen of the mind and you paint that picture in, in your mind. Uh, and are there challenges of today? Absolutely. Frankly, if there weren't challenges of today, you wouldn't have a good story. And, and frankly, having a good story, I think, for many people is what motivates them. All right. The next question comes from SS. How do you shift some habitual thoughts that are not serving you to something that's desired, how do you shift thoughts out of scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset? 
Cool. Excellent question. And so really we're talking, um, you know, how do you shift, uh, let's see, what was it, habitual thoughts that are not serving you to something that's desired? Well, first of all, being able to identify when those thoughts are affecting you. And again, the real trick here is, is that many times what we think is that we can identify, so first of all, identify when you're having those negative thoughts or things that are limiting. And one of the things even, you know, for example, the, 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 the limiting thought that I had, double-edged sword. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done right. Absolute fantastic quality control because, frankly, I did everything. That thought process is also something that got in the way of me creating incredible results and, or, and liberty in my life. And I, I could never have that around me. So one of the things is to identify, it's like, oh, my goodness, even – even thoughts that are double-edged swords, what part of that doesn't work? And so, first of all, identifying it. The second, second part of that is remember that not all those thoughts are little voices that say, oh, Paul, gee, you're not enough, or, you know, you're not the good-looking one, or, or you're not smart enough, or you're not capable, or you're just going to fail anyway. Sometimes those thought processes come in just as a feeling. Sometimes it's a knot in our stomach or something like that. And so, again, I tell myself, today's the day. And then I'd also tell myself, well, not today. You know, she's busy or, you know, whatever it, whatever it was. And, oh, by the way, too, just as a, as a, as a subtle thing with that, um, I think that every day we're constantly presented with opportunities to learn things. And uh, I went back to my 20-year high school reunion hoping that she would be there. <laughs> you know, and it was just so that I could tell her, not that I wanted to rekindle some you know, things or not rekindle, <laughs> kindle, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, and I thought about it. And I go, what could be the possible outcome? Um, she could go, oh, I had a big crush on you too. And then, you know, I'd kill myself, <laughs> you know, not really, but, you know, uh, you know, and so that wouldn't be a good outcome. And the second one would, would be, oh, who are you? <laughs> you know, either way, the, the response wouldn't have been, been that great of a response coming from her to me. But one of the things I decided is, I only have one shot in life. And to grab onto life and take it for as much as I can, because I don't know how much time I have left. And I don't know what, you know, for sure what happens in the next great adventure, but what I do know is I know I have right now. And so, you know, to shift out of habitual thoughts that aren't serving you, first of all, identify them. Consciously shift, like a leader, more towards the positive. Recognize that it's limited and consciously be grateful for what you do have in your life. You know, and no matter what, no matter how miserable things are, there are always things to be grateful for. You are alive. You are in the question. You have whatever education that you have and you're asking these questions. People that aren't asking these questions, very difficult for them to grow. Okay. The next question comes from KK. Is there any great book out there that helps you figure out what your desires are? Do you have any biographies you'd recommend to people who have created their desires? Um, yeah, actually, you know, those kind of books are literally everywhere. Uh, you can go on to, you know, online stuff. You can, uh, you know, you can even, you know, Google, uh, you know, life purpose or passion or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and you'll see that stuff. But you can go into any bookstore and just get all kinds of books on that stuff. Now, my question would be, what is the benefit that you get out of not identifying your desires? 
what is the benefit that you get out of not discovering your life purpose? What is the benefit that you get out of not waking up and being passionate about the day? You know, and as I ask that question, many people go, what? You know, what do you mean the benefit? Well, the concept is that we do things that are directly in alignment with either avoiding pain or getting pleasure. And so we look at the things, and so the benefit of not having a dream, the benefit of not having a passion, you know, having passion can be things like, and obviously I'm not filling it in, you know, for this listener, which I I appreciate, again, asking the question, but to identify yourself personally, well, what do you get out of it? And there are people that are, you know, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75 that are still trying to figure out what their passion is for life. Well, we can hide behind that lack of passion. We can never take risks. We can play it safe. We can, uh, we can justify, frankly, our own miserable lack of progress. So one of the things is, and I don't say that to be, you know, cruel or mean, but the thing about it is unless there is a reason for you to go and get that desire, the truth is, is that that passion for you is out there and it's waiting for you. Start doing the research. It isn't necessarily going to land in your lap. Maybe it is. But if you're sitting there waiting for that to happen, you might be waiting a long time. And, you know, so it's like the other things that I recommend, everything, anything. You know, go out there and start talking to people. But, but my encouragement, don't get stuck in the process. Don't get stuck in it. Many people will go, oh, I don't have a passion. I mean, you go back to, um, to think it's great and, and go back to um, uh, uh, think and grow rich. And, and one of the things that he talks about, he'll talk about is to have a definite purpose for your life. Define that. Don't wait for that to fall into your lap. Go after it. Go. Okay. The next question comes from D.F. Strategies or questions you ask yourself to get your thinking in control again. I know often we can't control our first thought, and once we become aware that our first thought is not where we need it to go or to be, how do you quickly get back on track? Well, and this one actually ties in with that, you know, thing that I was talking about with leadership before. And, you know, what does a leader do? A leader identifies whether the thoughts are negative or positive. And so one of the things that I'm getting from this uh, from this listener is that they are in the process of you know, identifying, and they go, well, gee, you know, I notice that my first thought isn't positive. You know, and many times we'll react to something else. I mean, frankly, you, the average person, when they are presented with an opportunity, the number one answer is no thank you, no matter what that opportunity is. Somebody comes up to him and says, you know, I, I, I give you a million dollars. No strings attached. No thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I'll, uh, I'll teach you the keys to, to, to success and happiness and, and fun and passion. And you know what the number one answer to the average people, person? No thanks. And heaven forbid you're surrounded by somebody that's, that's excited and happy and passionate. You're, you're perceived with suspicion. The, you know, people look at you and go, oh, you must be, you know, you must be smoking something, or you must have drank the Kool-Aid or something. But think about it. I, I don't know about you know you as listeners, your relationship with your creator, but do you think that your creator wants you to live a happy, passionate life? 
You know, so my answer to that one is yes. And, again, you'd have to answer that one to yourself, but it's like, okay, so number one thing here, identify whether it's positive or negative. Consciously shift it more towards the positive. Take leadership of yourself and understand that the only person that can control your attitude is you. No one else can control your attitude, either negatively or positively. The only one that can control it is you. Use the techniques. Use the screen of the mind. Use, you know, workshop. Use the I am. And go create a new you. Well, I think that ties into our last question here, which is uh, from DR. And the question is, what daily practice would the speaker recommend to overcome worry, thoughts that don't serve us, and waste energy? Well, really that one, you know, kind of is asked and answered, you know, because that really is the whole deal here. You know, it's like, okay, what daily practices would you do? Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. I am a leader. I am a leader of what? I'm a leader of self. And so what is this? This is affirmations. Tell yourself that you're getting better. Set up a series of reminders and, and you know, put a, put a note on the mirror of your bathroom that says, I am phenomenal, I am awesome, I'm getting better and better, I'm a leader, I'm giving, I'm forgiving, I'm forgiving of myself and others, I'm, I'm trustworthy, I'm passionate, I have an incredible memory, I'm powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And you tell yourself that you are that or you're getting that or you're becoming more of that. You, you use the techniques and set up a time uh, that you can use the techniques. And, and uh, you know, you go to bed and you give yourself a gold card and, you, and you, you listen to the tapes while you're driving to work as opposed to wasting time uh, either, you know, uh, listening to the radio or whatever. You, you, you say, okay, on my drive home or my drive to work or both, I'm going to listen to personal growth tapes. And whether they're things that Site Seminars has to offer or whether it's other companies have to offer, Anything that is positive, that speaks to you personally, that vibrates with you, do it. So you set up a series. And, and are there times where you take a rest? Yeah, take a break and then get back into it. But what you do is, you know, Tom Wilhite would talk about the I am. And he says, this concept is, a, is the bottom rung of, rung of the ladder, is the most important and powerful of all concepts. And what, you, and what you'll do is if you use it a teeny bit, guess what your results will be? There'll be little teeny results. And if, on the other hand, you use it a lot, you'll get tremendous results. You will be able to create a new you. So do whatever it takes for you to set that up and do it. Well, Paul, I really want to thank you for all the tools and tips and techniques you've shared with us tonight. And I know, although we've gone long and, you know, because we've had so many great questions, and I really appreciate you taking the time to answer those. I know that's going to mean a lot to our graduates and guests that are on this call. But do you have any closing remarks that you want to share with us and kind of wrap up the evening with us tonight and our guests? Well, yeah. And uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And first of all, um, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to do this because, once again, I think that it's really an honor and a privilege to to be speaking on this particular subject. But one of the things I was actually that, that comes to mind as a parting thought is I was doing a seminar recently, and I was asked to do kind of a workshop uh, in, you know, on Saturday night after the class was over, and it was to graduates. And and some of the graduates have been around for a long time, and it was a workshop on workshop. 
And, you know, I just thought about it for a little bit. It was kind of an impromptu thing. And I asked, I, I asked the, 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 the grads that were out there, I says, how many of you use the technique of workshop? And it was interesting because eh, maybe 25% of the people raised their hand. And so then I asked the people that raised their hand, I go, well, where do you use workshop and what results have you got out of it? And to a person, they would, they would give some different piece of using that technique and, uh, you know, either having their assistance and, you know, talking to people that they're struggling with relationship with or inventing things or et cetera, et cetera, or taking medicines on and on. And they would say, oh, my goodness, you know, it's like it's a huge effect on my health or a huge effect on my creativity, huge effect on my business, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then I would ask them, I go, do you continue to use it regularly? And almost to a person, they said no. And so there it was, two-thirds or greater of the people, or three-quarters or greater of the people, they knew about this technique, but they didn't use it. And so I asked the question, I go, why don't you use it? And so for many people, one of the answers was, I don't believe that the tool will work. I don't believe that workshop works, or I don't believe screen on my works, or I don't believe that an affirmation, you know, it's like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. I don't believe that that'll work, okay? Or what they'll say is, number two, they'll say, well, I forgot. Or number three, they'll say, I was, I'm too busy. And so, first of all, what's the benefit that people get out of those reasons? Or I'll use a, a you know, stronger term, those excuses. Well, if you don't believe that the tools will work, what do you get out of believing that the tools don't work? What do you get out of forgetting? What do you get out of being too busy? If you use the tools... If you use the techniques, you will create results that are inconsistent with your limiting beliefs. And what will happen is, is the more evidence that you create that supports a belief that says you are awesome, you are incredible, you are capable, you are giving, you are loving, you, you know, uh, you're a leader, on and on, what you will do is you stop feeding these beliefs, you feed the beliefs that are limiting less, and you feed the beliefs more that are you're absolutely amazing and incredible, and you become more of that person. And so what do you get out of it? You get excuses. So the question is not whether you know a technique or a concept. The question is, are you using it? And so my question is, what is it going to take that is powerful enough what is the dream you have? What is the passion you have that is strong enough for you to actually use this stuff? What I'm going to encourage you to do, so as a last thought, Will Hite, Tom Wilhite would define, he would define not just success, but he would define maturity as understanding and accepting the responsibility of the way that you think. So not just understanding, but accepting the responsibility of the way that you think because the only person that can change the way that you think is you. If you accept that and take that one on as your own, then you can create a whole new you. And so with that, once again, thank you for allowing me to be on this call, and I hope that there's something in here that assists you in creating the life of your dreams. Well, this has been amazing, Paul. I, I hope uh, since you did that workshop, maybe we can get you back to do a call on workshop. <laughs> maybe so. 
All right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you again, Paul, very much for such a great lesson. It was fantastic. My pleasure. And, and thank you to the graduates and guests who have joined us. We know that your time is valuable, and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you are a guest joining us and you would like additional information about size seminars and to learn more about the basic seminar, please go to PSISeminars.com. That's www.PSISEMINARS.com. Thanks, Dory. What an amazing call. It's a great refresher on to think is to create. And thank you, Paul, uh, for giving us all of the lessons for this evening. Uh, for those of you online, we have been doing live posts throughout the call on Facebook. We'd love to have you join us on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash PSI seminars and like us on Facebook in order to get all of the updates of what's happening within PSI. You can also uh, receive our newsletter. Every month we send out a newsletter. You get tips and tools from Jane Wilhite herself. We also have a thought for the day. You can uh, subscribe to those on our website, psiseminars.com, also on the teleseminar site at psiteleseminars.com. We have a registration form on there where you can subscribe to our newsletters. Well, that's great, Kat, and what great way to stay connected and continue learning more about the uh, tools and techniques from the basic seminar. So in addition, we will be sending out the podcast and recording from this call and providing you with information for the upcoming call, which is on Tuesday, July 10th. And you won't want to miss this call either because we're going to explore the power of intention. If you want to register, you can go there now to psiteleseminars.com. So that's www.psiteleseminars.com. So we really want to thank you for joining us this evening, and we hope you have a fantastic night. Good night. Good night.